So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. You're in for a treat today. Today's host is Danae Logan. She's an associate marriage and family therapist based in Los Angeles. In addition to her work with clients in private practice, she is a mindfulness coach, a yoga teacher, a tenacious wisdom seeker, and a California soul through and through, just like me. Her and I both have Tupac in us. Biggie was wrong. New York is where you visit. LA is where you live. Okay. She is known for her nurturing presence and authenticity. Danae specializes in supporting couples in finding more fulfillment in their relationships and how each of us can reclaim the aspects of our authentic selves we've been societally conditioned to turn away from. She absolutely loves facilitating group immersive experiences and retreats based around these topics. Danae is also the co-host of the podcast, Cheaper Than Therapy. Enjoy Danae Logan. Um, well, thanks for taking some time to sit down with me, Nico. Um, you know, I feel like I wanted to talk to you a little bit because you are, well, let me back up. So I'm taking over the single on purpose podcast as I do from time to time to have mm-hmm. conversations. And, you know, I feel like you're first of all, you're one of my safe spaces in terms of like a friend and a man in my life who I feel like, you know, whenever I think about you, you're like a warm blanket of like safety. Um, And when I say safety, I just mean that like we talk about all the things. And like, even though sometimes we don't agree on things, it's always like safe to hash things out. So I love having these conversations with you. But also, you know, like we talk a lot about like love and the world of dating and all of the things. So I thought it would be interesting to have you on the podcast um, to talk about some of that stuff and share it with others. But before we do all that, will you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for those who might not follow you who are listening? Yeah, absolutely, Danae. And again, uh, the feeling is mutual. Like, I just want to reiterate what you just said that um, you as well, like, I think one of the beautiful things about the relationship I have with you is that we can disagree and in such a (laughs) thoughtful, compassionate way. And honestly, it's really taught me that that is possible to have Mm -hmm. like enlightened, um, you know, uh, growth oriented discourse and still not agree and still have a beautiful conversation and walk away with something intangible. Like I I learn things when I talk to you all the time. So thanks for saying that, uh, first of all. All Um, Same. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess my background, I, you know, I've been on the podcast with you and Vanessa. So if anyone's listening to that, you probably know a little bit about my background, but um, was a uh, was a pro athlete for seven years, a pro runner and cyclist, had a big crash in 2019 uh, that left me with a traumatic brain injury, ripped all the ligaments, dominant ligaments, in my dominant right arm. Um, and it kind of turned my world upside down. And I've always really been into mental, emotional, relational health, having mm-hmm. took myself to therapy as a young man at the age of 23. And um I would say that that crash, among other life experiences, such as a breakup, such as uh, you know losing a family member uh, to death, uh, kind of propelled me towards working in the 
sort of coaching counseling setting. And, and you were one of the people that influenced me too, because I remember having this conversation with you over a year ago and you were like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. Like you're meant to be doing this. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so right now I work with clients pretty much all over the world. I have a podcast, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul, which you've been a guest on multiple times. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, making content on on the social medias, just like uh, just like most <laughs> folks. The social medias. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I do feel like long before, well, not long before, but before you made the decision to really dive into holding space for other people, you already were doing a lot of holding space for other people. And you and I would have conversations and I would just be like, God, Nico, I feel like this is a little bit in alignment with what you're meant to do. Um, and it's just always been so clear to me that you're, you know, you have so much emotional intelligence and compassion for, I don't know, whatever the experiences that other people are going through. And you always had so much curiosity that I think is what is required to hold space for others in just such a beautiful way. And I feel like, you know, you have been such a, a gift to me in the space of um, bringing me into the internal landscape of men. A lot of times, you know, I, my practice is interesting in that for whatever reason, and I think this is just a little bit how psyche operates, it's made up primarily of couples, but then also single women. Right. And so, you know, I work with men, but normally they're either married men or men who are just like, you know, dating and in relationships, but not like a ton of like single men looking for love. And so I feel like I a lot of times will we'll get a lot of perspective that I don't necessarily get about the experience of a man from you. And I think a couple months ago we were talking about dating and we were like, Oh, we should put this on the podcast. Right. Um, and so I guess, so, well, let me back up because we've talked a lot about um, a long-term relationship that you were in, like your most recent really long-term relationship. Yeah. And then you were back in the space of singlehood and I was in the space of singlehood. Um, and what do you feel like, you started to understand about dating post that relationship and being back in the game a little bit, you know? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I think, you know, as we experience more heartbreaks and if we take a, a legitimate um, look at our behaviors and our patterns, mm. right? And, and I don't, I mean, like try to be as conscious as possible. I think with, with each heartbreak, I have met myself on a more, on a more deep level. Right. And that directly relates to my experience with dating. You know, um, after my most recent separation, which was in uh, May of 2020, you know, it took me, well, first of all, I went back to therapy, you know, really wanted to look at, you know, how I contributed to the dysfunction of the relationship, how I contributed to the positive things of the relationship on, on both levels. And as I re entered after probably about, I would say I didn't really start trying to date till about a year or maybe a year and a half after the separation. It's arbitrary uh, mm. number, but that's just, you know, from my recollection, right? And so when I tried, started to try to date again, I realized that, um, well, one, my deal breakers, as, as John and everyone else says, mm -hmm. right, my deal breakers were, were severely different. It was like the level mm -hmm. of importance of emotional availability and emotional intelligence um, was at the top of the list. Whereas before my last relationship, it might've been in the top five, right? Um, and so I had other things that sort of were reorganized just based on my growth, you know? And so as I re-entered uh, the dating world, I just found that, you know, I, I was more in alignment with, with the type of individual I was looking for. Mm 
Hmm. And it was less about just physicality or athleticism or intelligence or motivation or inspiration and more about like, I want to know if this person knows himself on a deep level, mm -hmm. right? Because that that's what's going to hold us together. Because if they don't know themselves, it's really hard for them to get to know me, even if I show them me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, from that last relationship, perhaps the biggest lesson I learned among so many I learned from that relationship uh, was what I really need in a partner. You know, and so with that information of what I really need in a partner, it helped me enter the dating realm with like be, being, I guess, more easily able to say no, you know, like not entertain something that I that I already know isn't for me, but still being curious enough to give someone a chance, get to know them. And also on the other forefront is is being better with rejection, right? When people are like, you know, hey, I'm not really, you know, I had a couple of days, I'm not into it. And I think that you know, it allowed me to sort of rectify a little bit of the consistent battle with my own internal ego of like, mm -hmm. well, my self-worth is, is, you know, has dissipated because someone doesn't want to be with me. Right. Because my last relationship, my partner had left a couple of times. And, and, um, I think that I'm trying to reiterate this or uh, reorient this back to the dating process. But mm -hmm. when I got back into the dating realm, it was just a, um, it was an intriguing experience because I realized that uh, the pool I wanted to pick from was a lot smaller. Um, and I think for a lot of people that makes them feel very discouraged. Um, mm -hmm. but for me, it actually made me feel more encouraged because as I met friends like you and other people that, um, I love and are, are incredibly beautiful human beings, I'm like, these people exist, mm -hmm. you know? So there is a, there is a likelihood and a chance and a, and a probability. In fact, a high probability, if I keep putting my energy out there, like I am, that I will attract someone. It is in alignment with the same values person I am is their own individual is interdependent. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's someone that I want to pursue a relationship with, you know, whereas I think before that relationship, I had a more myopic view on what I thought I needed. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I love that so much and I kind of want to circle back to that. Um, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Because the the first question that came up for me was, you know, Vanessa and I were talking a couple podcast episodes about ago about um, this article that was being circulated. I don't know if you saw it, but it was like the rise of the lonely single male. And it was like um, a lot of therapists were talking about it. I don't know if it was like on Psychology Today or where, you know, it, it came from. But they were basically talking about how in the dating landscape, women are doing a lot of like inner work and, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of therapy and they're, they're, uh, you know, and obviously these are generalizations, but this is what the article sure. was saying that yeah. they're really struggling to find men that are meeting them there. And that are like, that there is sort of a skills gap in terms of emotional work and emotional intelligence. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. And like that there are, I think the article was saying that there is like a certain pool of men that are on the dating apps and like are constantly getting dates. And then yeah. there's like, and that's a small pool. And then there's like a really large pool of men who are really struggling to find dates and find companionship. And I know you work with a lot of single men, right? So yeah. I, I'm just curious to hear what even hearing about this article brings up for you. So, yeah, I haven't read the article, but just the initial like my initial reflection on what you just said, I think that, you know, there's, there's some truth to that because I mm. think by and by as a generalization, 
women based on our current culture and based on the history of humanity have been, um, you know, not only more, uh, I guess, more readily open to experiencing them, their emotions and getting to themselves on an emotional level, but also um, encouraged to pursue that a little bit more. Not all the time, again, generalizing, right? Whereas uh, traditionally in most cultures, um, males, and I don't want to confuse masculine energy with saying male, right? But like men have been uh, told to sort of repress a lot of who they are mm. and to you know act a certain way. And I think women have the same thing in, in a lot of other standards too. So it's it's hard for me to see like one is different than the other because interestingly enough, I work with a lot of male clients who will be like, well, where are all these conscious women? Mm. Because just because someone writes it on their Bumble or Tinder profile <laughs> or posts about it on Instagram or has been to therapy does not mean that they are where they say they are. Absolutely. Right? And so I think a lot of people, for lack of a better word, are bullshitting themselves a little bit. Mm. You know, And I think what I encourage people to do is be honest and authentic about where you're coming from, where you are, where you're hoping to go, and what you're working on you know, and, and that's how we sort of find a better match. And like, you know, I always envision this as this like used car salesman on most dating sites or even social media, right? It's like, oh, the front of the car, I shine it every day. You know, it's got great coat of paint. It looks like a brand new car. And you walk around the back and like the bumper's hanging off and the license plate is like really dingy and it hasn't, <laughs> the registration hasn't been updated for two years, you know? And I yeah. think that we're all like this in certain ways, you know? And when we only show people the front in the initial stages, we're sort of already falling in love with an ideal or a narrative, you know, and, and not necessarily reality. And so I think that men experiences this too. It's just obviously in a different lens based on societal standards. And, and I definitely feel for both men and women when they say, hey, I can't find someone who can meet me emotionally or who's open and honest or authentic. And I do think there's some inherent weight on genders in this, in this problem, but I, but I do think it's more of a societal cultural thing where, you know, even if you've gone to therapy, even if you're, you know, working yourself, even if you're reading these books, I think a lot of times people are really just still scared of being mm. vulnerable and being honest about who they are, the mistakes they've made and, you know, what they're really looking for. And I think also, not only do we struggle being honest about that, we really struggle to understand what we truly need versus what we want, which yeah. is a huge issue for most people in dating, right? Because we're looking for what we want. We're not really understanding what we need. Well, I mean, you're so smart. You go. I love that. And I feel like I want you to say more about that differentiation and what are some of the things that you see people thinking that they want that like maybe they could tap into a little bit yeah. more of the need space. Uh, I, I love this. So, uh, you know, it's interesting being on, I'm on dating apps currently, but when I was, uh, you know, I, I would see a lot of stuff like looking for an alpha male, looking for someone that's, oh <laughs> you know, trustworthy. Yeah, right. I, I hate that word. Trustworthy, <laughs> truthful, honest, committed, mm. um, monogamous, all these things. Right. Um, and and I think that a lot of people, first of all, are very, very readily, they'll, they'll quickly give you what they're looking for mm. and they don't tell you what they're offering. You know, because just just because you're looking for that thing doesn't mean you're given those things. And And I'm on the belief system of we can't ask for something we're not willing to give. Okay. Right. And so I think that for instance, my personal experience, a lot of times when I thought this is what I needed, what I wanted was like, Oh, someone I was, um, you know, very physically compatible with like very, very, you know, physically beautiful. Also like highly intellectual, um, you know, was, was independent, uh, financially, you know, um, and all these other things. And then when I take a step back and I realized what I need, well, 
I need someone who's highly empathic, who's very caring, who's in tune with her own emotions. Uh, doesn't mean she has to be a perfect human, but also can communicate them just like I want to be, I want to communicate mine, you know? Mm. And also I, it's interesting because a lot of times I think I was looking for a mirror image of myself. I think a lot of people do this when they're really honest, you know, they start, you, you write their deal breakers down versus their preferences. And I'm like, huh, it looks <laughs> like you're describing yourself, you know? <laughs> And, and, um, you know, and then they think about it and they're like, oh, interesting that we like, look, we want this reflection of ourselves mm. when like, that's the one thing we really need to work on, you know? And so for me, what I really, it was just a writing exercise I, I do over and over again to check in with myself is like separating my deal breakers from my preferences or my non-negotiables from my preferences. And I think within those differences, you start to figure out what you need, which I would say are probably more on the deal breaker side versus what you want, which are probably preferences. And for myself and for most people I work with, I'm like, if these are deal breakers, these are the things that have to be met. And it can't be some 30, 40 point long list because we're human beings, right? People usually will have a really long list of deal breakers and a couple preferences. It needs to be the opposite. You know, we need to be a little bit more like water in how we approach dating and partnership because oftentimes like some of the best partners are sitting right in front of our faces and we're ignoring them because of like the lack of polarity or lack of chemistry or something, which, mm. which I think is is equally as important, but you know, I think sometimes you put too much weight on that, like initial, like, oh my God, I want to jump this person's bones, you know, where I'm like, you have an incredible soulful connection with this person. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you pr pr by chance might pay attention a little bit, you could might be able to develop sexual intimacy, but that, that partnership might be way more beautiful than if you met someone on Tinder, Bumble or Hinge that you think is like super hot and, you know, you get a couple beers with them and you have great sex. But after that, there's not really much depth there, you know? And not to say sex is important. I think it is incredibly important. Yes. But I ho hopefully that's that's somewhat of an answer because I think that it's hard for me to say specifically, you know, how to find that from a from one point in life where it's like, oh, I need to delineate my my wants or my needs. But I think it's a process over getting to know yourself better. Then you're honest with yourself at some point of like, I know what I need. Yeah. I also know what I want. You know, my wants, I can kind of probably shift them around a little bit. My needs, I can't change those things. Hmm. I mean, I love that answer so much. And here's what I find challenging and like even challenging in supporting people in the realm of dating. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think our work is to know ourselves well so that we're, when we are, are in the space of getting to know someone, we can just you know, really respond to the truth of what this is bringing up for me and know our bodies well enough to like tap into what the somatic response to being in this person's presence is all of those beautiful things. Right. And I find that the dating apps, <laughs> like, I feel like they're one, they're such a, Oh my God, I could go on. <laughs> I'm like, they're just such a like dehumanizing space yeah. of like, well, first of all, if you're someone like me that gets like easily overwhelmed, it's like yeah. too much. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can't see this many human beings in like the span of five minutes. Like my brain's like, uh, -uh. but also, um, there's just so much rational mind and, you know, like I'm such a like feeling person that like, I could probably fall in love with anyone if I spend enough time with them. Right. But I think there's like, I think you know what I'm saying, but I'm trying to articulate it. It just yeah. feels like it removes some of the magic for me. I I completely hear you, Danae. And I think that so many people I work with too, including myself, like uh, feel disenchanted with a mm. lot of uh, dating apps and dating culture. I, I do want to 
take a step back though and say that dating apps are merely a symptom of our current society. Oof, right. And so just like Instagram, just like TikTok, you can see where our values are put, right? Our values are very, very focused on the front of the window. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did we shine it? Is it you know, same thing with like the front of the car analogy that I was kind of um, putting up there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the way I see it now is less of a judgmental thing and more of a tool, you know, um, like. I think that when you bring up a really interesting point of like, you know, I feel overwhelmed. I think a lot of people do. And I think this is another lesson we need to learn for ourselves is like, we can use the tool as well as restraint, like put some restraint on ourselves, you know, for a lot of clients that feel overwhelmed. I'm like, well, if you do want to give dating apps a try, like just set, like do it once, like one day a week, you get on for like an hour Mm -hmm. and, and chat with a couple people. The thing that I think helps a lot of people if they're if they work really well on what they say in their bio and their profile and the photos they share, because that, like, if they're really upfront about like, this is what I'm looking for, this is what I'm offering, it eliminates a lot of the fluff that you might get mm-hmm. where, cause you don't have time to like go through all these conversations. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like being really intentional about what I write uh, and being really honest about, you know, things I'm working on, who I am, what I'm looking for, like dogs, long walks on the beach. Like most people like those things. Like, who <laughs> are you? Like, who are mm. you for real? You know? Um, yeah. And then people are like, well, I don't want to, just tell, you know, a bunch of strangers on the internet who I am. I'm like, well, if you don't, you're going to get matched with a lot of other people and you're going to have to filter through all that and you're going to be exhausted from filtering. You know, you don't really want to filter. You want to get to a point where you're already matching with people that are in alignment with you and then you can have a conversation and go from there and see if like, you know, you need to meet up in person if you want to meet up in person, right? If that feels good for you both. Um, And so I'd say like, I totally understand like the feeling exhausted part and the feeling overwhelmed. I do think that like, this app culture is here to stay until the internet completely zaps and we all have to be humans again um, <laughs> because it's just a part of who we are now you know i mean even with us recording this podcast digitally right like mm-hmm. it's it's ingrained in our society now can you not meet someone in person uh you know like the olden days <laughs> i hate to say it like that but absolutely you can it's beautiful <laughs> it's incredible yeah. do you raise your probability just based on statistics if you're on an app with intention using it as a sort of informed tool I think so. Yes. Um, can you fall in love and have a great partner, a uh, great partnership and a relationship without it? Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and so for me, it's just like, you know, there's so many people that, that really want to meet others. And, you know, especially when you get to a certain age range, and you're like, well, I don't really go do a lot of new things, right? I'm kind of in the same communities. The apps are merely an, uh, a, an outlet for someone to meet someone new that they might not otherwise not come in contact with, you know? Yeah. So that's how I view it. I view it as a tool more than like this thing where it's like this oppressive cloud that once you get under it, you're just like, Oh my God, I feel exhausted because I have all these messages and emotional things I have to respond to. Yeah. I mean, I think here's the thing. And I like, I hundred percent agree with what you're saying. And, um, <laughs> it's funny. I don't, how do you say Jillian's last name? Uh, Tarecki. Tarecki. I think yeah. I was, um, listening to the two of you <laughs> I'll just be honest, like a little activated Nico in one of your conversations um, because I'm sorry. What I was thinking as I was listening to you guys talking about how I think in that conversation, the two of you, and at some point I want to meet Julian and ask her for myself, but like you were talking about how there's just like a group of women who get to a certain point in their life and they get like really comfortable being single and it's not healthy. Right. And Mm. here's the thing, like, I'm looking at the two of you, frankly, very attractive, you know, people of a certain demographic. And I'm thinking, 
YouTube probably killed on dating apps. A lot of my clients, I find, um, they're in there. They like literally are like, like it's a full time job for them, and nobody's swiping on them. Nobody's right. interested in them, right? And so I feel like that can feel really defeating to hear it's not healthy for me to be single when I feel like I would love to have someone be interested in dating me and I'm not the demographic. And I, I don't think, you know, I think that's men and women, but I think yeah. that there are a lot of people who are not the demographic that people are seeking to be going on dates with. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that specific clip with Jillian, I think got, <laughs> you're like, today you keep bringing it up. You didn't hear yeah, the whole no, it's thing. okay. I want to talk about it. I, I appreciate you talking about it because it's important. You know, I think that, mm. um, it did get misinterpreted a little bit because I took that clip specifically because I knew it was going to ruffle some feathers. But in the greater <laughs> context, what what was really being said, and if it didn't come off this way, like, you know, apologies on that front. But I think what Jillian was really saying and how I agree with her in this is that, you know, the people you're speaking of are consciously choosing to go out there and pursue dating, which I think is wonderful, right? Mm. After, a por after a portion of time of singlehood, I think all of us are here for connection, whether romantic or friendship, but go out there and meet new people, right? Fall in love with people. You know, mm -hmm. like that's that's a huge part of being alive. Congratulations. You have that capacity, right? No matter what trauma you come from. Um, and I think what Jillian was saying is like she was speaking more towards the people that are choosing not to pursue relationships, like like consciously saying, like shutting, shutting things off, shutting themselves off. And it, it wasn't directly related to apps. It was just directly related to like, you know, when you've been so hurt or so traumatized, all of a sudden, like, well, I'm just going to be single because I'm avoiding the risk or the pain that comes with possibly getting to know someone I might fall in love with and I might lose again. You know, and I really think that was the what we were speaking to uh, in, in that context. But in that clip, it sounded like we were basically criminalizing singlehood, which is not not what I'm doing, you know, mm. at all, because I think that, as you know, a lot of people don't stay single long enough and jump from relationship to relationship and Word. just carry this bag of like busted toys, you know, in the form <laughs> of emotions and then mm -hmm. jump it onto the next person like, hey, here you go. Have Merry Christmas, you know. Um, and I think that that that's I think that that's really what Jillian and I were, were trying to to hone in on in that conversation. But it, we might not have used, you know, perhaps the right uh, like rhetoric in the in the moment of the clip. Well, I don't think it's not using the right rhetoric at all, but I, I'm curious to hear your, so I've come up with a little bit of a different perspective on love and like what I think, I think a patriarchal society sets that the baseline should be partnered, right? Mm -hmm. And that especially for women, if you are single, that means that you somehow were not worthy of being chosen, right? So mm. if if a woman gets to her like mid 30s or 40s, and um, she has never been um, married, then society kind of looks at her still even in 2023, as though like she was defective somehow, or like, mm. not worthy of something. And what I also see in a lot of um, married people is that again, for women, there's a lot about partnership that is, can be a bit of a raw deal, you know, can be a little bit of like, what am I actually getting out of this? And listen, conscious men like yourself, that is probably, and obviously that's kind of a heteronormative um, way of holding it. But right. I think that a lot of times there is a lot that is not of benefit in terms of partnership. And so what I've sort of come to the conclusion of is, we should be in partnership when it's justified. But what if yeah. single were the baseline? What if I'm single until someone comes along that makes me not want to be single anymore, but singlehood is so amazing and I'm so mm -hmm. in love with my life. And, you know, 
I, I'll use myself as an example. Like, I don't feel like I'm a lonely person. Like you, tons of people in my life, like make my life really rich with connection. But I think we sort of say that women, especially are some like, from my perspective, are women, women are somehow um, incomplete until partnered. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That's interesting. I I, I do. I do hear that. I feel like men get similar things. Even if we look at like someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, like people consistently criticize him for being in his fifties or almost <laughs> in his fifties or something and dating all these like 23 year olds and then you know, dumping them. And they're like, this guy, like what's going on? You know, he can't hold a relationship. Like he's not married. You know um, I feel like, you know, I think, I think men get criticized too, just in different levels. Uh, but I do know absolutely women get criticized if they're not in a relationship. I would say that like, I agree with you though, like singlehood should healthy singlehood should be the baseline. But to me, when I, when I use the word partnership, it's in the terms of like health. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when I don't say partnership unless like it is a functional relationship, you know, if it's dysfunctional, I'm like, well, you just got a dysfunctional relationship. It's not really a partnership because partnership to me is like, we're meeting each other on this and we're working on this shit. Right. And it doesn't mean it's devoid of conflict or devoid of arguments or devoid of, you know, pain or suffering, but you're working on it together. Right. I think that, you know, I don't think we can like objectively say that human beings are here for some sort of partnership just based on our biology. Like, we procreate, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we, we make babies and in babies, that is a partnership. You know, you need a partner to make a baby. And so I think that this even precedes patriarchy, right? It's just, it's ingrained in our DNA that we want to have relationships. And I'm, I don't speak of like relationship as just of being like romance. You know, I, I think what Jill and I were trying to get at is like, you know, don't shut yourself off because of your trauma or your pain. You know, it's okay to be single, but like, get back out there when you feel ready, you know, at least pursue meeting other people. It doesn't have to just be for romance, right? Whether it's monogamous or polyamorous or whatever, like open that door again to your heart because that's living, yeah. you know, whether, whether you're single or in a relationship, like kudos for just putting yourself out there again, right? After you've taken the time to learn from the past one and not just bring the same trauma over, right? What I always preface what I'm saying is people are like, oh, like Nico said on this podcast, I should just get back after. I just got out of one two weeks ago. You know, it's not <laughs> what I'm saying. Right. Um, but I guess I think we agree in the sense, Danae, that like, you know, I do think healthy singlehood has to be the baseline. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you're not okay in your own company, you're never going to be okay in someone else's. 100%. Right. And well, first of all, I would say that like Leonardo DiCaprio might get some shit, but like, most people still want to date Leonardo DiCaprio, Dude, whereas I, that right. is not the case with like 50 year old single women for the hey, most part. We talk I don't about think Kate it's Dude, I'll, I'll take a date with Kate Beckinsale any day of the week. <laughs> Kate, if you're listening, like slide in my DMs, please. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale. I don't even know who she is. You but... don't know who Kate Beckinsale is? Oh, man. Are no, you... but I'm going to look her up now because apparently she's <laughs> yeah. on it now and you're going to be the... sure. be all about it. Okay, so there's that. I, I don't think George Clooney was getting a ton of like negative flack as a bachelor before he got That's married, true. but we'll leave that we'll leave that debate for another time. However, I do want to circle back to what you were saying about, um, you know, healthy relationships are what are sort of life affirming and like feeding our soul. And, you know, I'm curious to, from your perspective to hear like what that looks like, because I'll be honest, and some of this might be, I don't even think this is like my skewed perspective as a couples therapist, to be honest. Like Mm -hmm. I see a ton about relationships and I'm going to speak in terms of like married partnerships in this context. Um, I don't know a ton of people, to be honest, Nico, that are happily married, meaning 
I know like it is like a societal norm baseline, like facts, like men talk about their woman as the ball and chain who like makes my life miserable. Women talk about like how their husbands are idiots and never help them. That movie and um, book uh, fair play Mm-hmm. was like a phenomenon because all of mm-hmm. these women were like the Im- amount of emotional labor that we're carrying is so out of alignment with what men are carrying. And so I just, I feel like, yes, <laughs> I would love for everybody to have um, really healthy functional relationships, but like think of the people that you know that are partnered, how many of them do you know are like thriving in their partnerships? The people that I know, I'd say it's, it's a subjective answer because a lot, a like lot, I will say, friends. because I, I have, I, and they're the people I, I seek to emulate because their their mm. relationships are not perfect. They're far from perfect, but they're healthy, right? They're progressive. They're expand. They're they're expansive. Um, I think that I agree with you, Danae, that it it is extremely hard to find a healthy partnership. Uh, but I would say, going back on your first point, we have to have the healthy partnership with ourselves first. So if we create a society or start to progress a society where people start to get to know themselves better, do some more deep shadow work. Uh, you know, rectify their childhood trauma, understand their uh, patterns, their their preconceived biases. Like we start to ripple out and we create healthy relationships through that work, yes. right? And so as that expands via a lot of different ways in society, you know, I do think we're, we're in a paradigm shift right now um, from like, you know, if we, if we even look at like the, the end of the 1960s, 1970s, when the Vietnam War was happening, when like there was this huge hippie revolution, I feel like we're on the precipice of something like that right now because a lot of people are waking up again from a slumber and this is how humans work we go in cycles we repeat Mm. history as unfortunate as it is we do the same shit over and over again you know we're not we're not doing super novel things really you know we've had renaissance periods before Mm. and right now i think we're in a renaissance period of the human soul you know (laughs) we're looking for meaning and meaning we have to find within ourselves before we find within another but to share that meaning with someone else is I, I think one of the most beautiful things on the planet. I legit could not agree with you more. I'm like smiling so much. My face hurts because um, I, I couldn't agree with what you just said any more than I do. I absolutely think that's true. And, you know, a little bit, the conversation that we were just having is me, like, it's not what I truly believe. Like I believe that relationships are some of the most beautiful life affirming, um, you know, like it's the Eros, it's the aliveness. There's something that comes to life, even in the struggle when we um, are attempting to work it out and hash it out with someone. Um, And I think offer the most potent opportunity for healing, right? Like we heal in relationships and we have a mirror placed in front of us in terms of what there is left for us to heal. Obviously, I I believe that is true. It's why I'm so passionate about couples work. Um, But I do think that something that you just said is important in terms of how things have to shift. And I'm curious to hear more of what your thoughts are. I remember, I think this was actually in a conversation she was having with you, to be honest, was um, Dr. Alexandra Solomon was Mm -hmm. talking about how our grandparents' grandparents' model of what a marriage and partnership looks like is just not going to work in 2023 and beyond because we have too many opportunities for instant gratification. We have um, a need to make meaning versus like 
you know, just like we used to sort of be like, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to like, yep. you know, retire and like build a 401k where people are yep. really looking for something different out of their lives now. And I think it is causing us to relationship different. <laughs> yep. oh. I'm like, I don't think that was a sentence, but you know what I mean? I think that it is causing there to be a need for us to like really have a different kind of partnership, right? Absolutely. I think so. It's not to say that there weren't incredibly deep emotionally uh intelligent and deep relationships back then in the 30s 40s 50s 20s mm -hmm. 1910s whatever right um it just is evolving because we are evolving mm -hmm. you know and so we, we we often forget in our incredible intellect here on the planet earth that we are a species who is evolving still yes. right and so as we expand so does our happenings and a relationship is a happening it is a thing right mm -hmm. it is happening and so i think that you know we just have to be honest. Like sometimes we, we, we think we're like this, this like, and we are an incredible species, but, but we, we kind of like zoom in so far that we're just like, oh, like nothing's changing. We're so stagnant. And then if you zoom out, like, you know, I say this a lot, we're like these tiny little vessels on this magnetic rock floating around this giant ball of fire energy in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Like it yeah. blows my mind. And then we watch these movies, like these Marvel movies, and we're like, oh man, I wish Iron Man was real. I was like, it's it's happening right now. <laughs> like really, like if you really think about it, these movies are literally just glimpses of the universe that exists within like your head, what you can think of, right? And so if the, there's infinite amount of possibilities within that, regardless of your spiritual belief, you can change like very quickly if you wanna be something different, right? And so I think because of that, even though we're so ingrained in our ways, right? We look at patriarchy, we look at uh, misogyny, we look at racism, we look at these, these, um, these sort of baseline of judgment that we've built up in society. It's really just a reflect reflection of our own internal oppression. We're not meeting ourselves, and we can't meet someone else. And it's really just a mirror image of our relational dysfunction too. Because when I talk about relationships, I don't always talk about relationships from the outside perspective. It's not like relating to others; it's relating to yourself. Yes. You know, most of the time your anger and your pain is because you don't have a relationship with yourself. You know, I, I can speak from experience. Like I know what that feels like even on a daily day basis still, you know? Um, and I think when we talk about relational evolution, it just follows suit to self-awareness being increased, right? Uh, less of a self-impotent society, meaning like I'm not just focused on myself like selfishness, but more of like a selflessness. And selflessness doesn't mean codependency. It doesn't mean giving everything about yourself away, but understanding that like, yes, you are an incredibly important, unique thing. That's part of this group of incredibly important, unique things. Hmm. You know, there's not very much differentiating you from another human being as far as your capacity to love, to feel, you know? And so when I come back to that thought process, I'm like, yes, I will slow down to stop this stranger on the street and shake his hand if he's homeless and make him feel like he is valuable, right? because that relationship is important, you know? Even when I'm stressed out, it's even more important to me when I feel like shit that day, you know? Which is interesting, because people forget about it. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think to me, what is underneath what you're saying, and again, couldn't agree more, is that we are so conditioned to believe that love and life is about what we can get. And I believe that the fulfillment and the <clears throat> the thriving really comes in the opposite. The more that I fill myself up and focus on what I can give other people versus what I can get from other people, um, it just feels better, you know, like 
that thing of what you're speaking about with stopping on the street to see another human is that that is like the space of service. And if I am able to be of service to my fellow human, um, it's the most like selfish thing possible because it makes me feel better when I get out of my head and into somebody else's experience. Right. Absolutely. The, exactly. The thing I want to add to, I guess your initial question is that, you know, for a long time, we've measured the success of our marriage by length of time. That's right. You know, and that's a shitty ruler. That's Mm -hmm. not a good tool of measurement, right? Because time is a human conception, right? The universe doesn't operate on time. We do. We put, (laughs) we invented clocks because we want it. We're like, oh my God, we die. So we need to sort of commodify time to make sure we're not wasting it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can be a relationship and frankly, be wasting your time. You know, you can be in a marriage for 40 years and be extremely unhappy and feel alone and feel depressed. And so you know, I think that we need to stop measuring relational or marriage success, marital success on time and measure on, do you truly love the company you keep? You know, we all get old and saggy. Will you share a cup of coffee with this person, look into their eyes and still feel as alive as you did when you first fell in love with them. That doesn't mean it's some fairy tale, whimsical thing. You have to work towards building that, right? It's not, you meet this person. Okay. Unlock achievement. Good. We played the video game. We're good. We're done. We can put it away. It's not like that. It's a, it's, um, you know, Simon Sinek brings up a uh, game theory a lot when he talks about leadership. Mm. And uh, I've, I think I've said this before in a conversation with you, but we're all playing these finite games because we will look at basketball or golf where there's a set of rules, a desired uh, outcome, which is usually us winning, you know, score more points, uh, you know, do this, do this thing. We get this result. Um, relationships are infinite games. Mm. There is no ending. So the point of the game is to keep it going to keep it healthy, to keep giving, giving into it and, and, and getting from it as well too. I think when people struggle is when they get in this game that's just not healthy for them anymore, one or both people are done or not working on it and you know they just don't feel connected anymore. And let's say that they've done their due diligence and done a bunch of work, you know, gone to couples counseling, it's still not getting better. Perhaps they're just growing apart. Perhaps their wants and needs just change. Perhaps they just grew separately. That's okay too. You know, I think we demonize separation a lot in society when we need to understand that sometimes separation is indeed the healthiest option for both people right and sometimes you have to separate in order to grow so i think that when we just measure relational success on time together it's like oh you've been together for 10 years congratulations like why are you why are you congratulating them like you don't know you don't know if the relationship's healthy you know if you know their relationship and it's an incredible relationship i have some friends who've been together for a long time and I'm like, man, that is that is amazing. Like, I see them fight. I hear them, you know, uh, get into fights with each other. But ultimately, they uh, th- they've they've made it through, right? They continue to push through these these disagreements, these these internal battles, right? They they put the work in together as a couple, right? And they both bring it to the table. It's not just like one dragging the other person up. Both of them do it, you know. And that's that's really, I would say, uh, quintessential to uh, judging relational health. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels so exciting to be alive at a time when these are the perspectives that we have. It feels so expansive. And I think that that is to me, the measure of when this relationship is life affirming and I am growing and feeling inspired in this dynamic. Right. I think, yes, absolutely respect and, um, 
just, you know, acknowledgement of who this person is, but if we're not still inspiring one another to grow. And, you know, I think we think that um, love is about this person loving me. Right. I think, and that like, to me is a lot of, a lot of times what the challenge is with a lot of the relational content, it's like, find a man who does this for you and this, like, and if he doesn't do this and it's just, I think gives us such a distorted view to the point you were making earlier of what our relational work is, which is how am I showing up? Right. Because that's what I can control, right? Like I don't get to control whether or not someone is doing X, Y, and Z for me, but loving someone to me is I see this person and I want to rise to be the best version of who I can possibly be because this person inspires that in me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think equally, being able to, you know, fall and be caught as well, mm. too, because we are all going to fall at some point, you know, um, and I think that's one thing that I think a lot of men for, you know, strong as they try to be, are also wanting to, to feel like they also can be held, you know, because I think, for instance, when we speak of like, you know, traditionalist theory, like a lot of women believe they should be, you know, the guy should be the caretaker, he should be I'm like, well, well men want to be taken care of, too. You know, I think I think a relationship is we take care of each other. We take care of ourselves and each other together. It's a partnership. Right. And so I think that, you know, when I see, uh, you know, women celebrating their partner, speaking heteronormally, of course, but when I see anyone celebrating, celebrating their partner, that's a beautiful thing. You know, yes. when I see like, uh, you know, when I hear of like my female friends supporting their their male partners who are like say get laid off or struggling with some, something in their family or something when they you know can be a shoulder for them to cry on not judge them not think they're less of a man not think they're you know weak for doing that um because they step into that role of of, of like mother mothering and it's not to i'm not saying like mother your partner that's not what i'm saying at all but there's that there's that innate beautiful thing within all women that like you have this your 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 life bringer right and so you can caress life in a way you can caress sort of the emotions and the waves that come with life. And, uh, you know, many men are looking for that space to be held as well, too, just like women want men to hold that space for them, you know? And I think that's one thing that freaks a lot of women out is when like, you know, they, they, they see this strong stoic person for most of their life. And then that person, you know, breaks down or crumbles. And sometimes it can, it can destroy a relationship. When I think sometimes that's when sort of the soil is the freshest to plant new seeds and connect on even a deeper level, because you see your partner on what they struggle with, you know, which is, which is an incredible, I would say, um, it, it's just an incredible experience because not many people get to see someone at that level of a human experience. Right. And usually it's the people that are closest to us, our closest family members, uh, maybe our closest friends, but for sure, like our romantic relationships, yes. you know? Um, and so I would say, you know, just for me, I, I would hope that more women as well to understand that, like, you know, men too want to be held in that way, you know, not just, not just the one sided thing. I think we both, you know, for, in the masculine, the feminine, through all parts of society, we have room to grow and we should be growing into each other, not away. Yes. And I, I have a visceral reaction to the mothering element, because I think yeah, yeah. that to me sure. is where, you know, to me, mothering, and this is the challenging thing yeah. is actually an incredibly masculine role. And oh, it's very task. It's very um, containing. It's very like, I need to hold things down. And what I find, you know, what I think you're speaking to, which is like necessary in the beauty of relationships is mm -hmm. 
actual intimacy, intimacy, oh, okay. right? Like yep, I yep, let yep. you see me, but what I find is the dynamic that is oh, so common and really right. detrimental to relationships is that women do get into mothering roles yes. with their partner and that right. really kills the life force, the erotic yeah. charge between the, two people. Because, you know, as Vanessa often says, I can want to mother you or I can want to fuck you. Like choose the, one. Right. But the, yeah. I think, I think it's, um, it's tough. And I think this is a tough line for both men and women to yep. know how to, to battle that. But I think the bigger struggle or, I don't know. The way out of that struggle for me is a lot of times like that. Remember when we were talking about like that conversation with Connor Beaton saying like your woman doesn't want to like hold your, how did he say it? Like your emotional world for you. Mm -hmm. Like she wants you to have that awareness of what's happening and then bring it right. Like not like figure this out for me. I have the capacity to like go inward and like do the navigating of what's happening. But I think sometimes when it's like, the chaos of like, I have no idea what's happening, fix it, then it, it feels really sort of maternal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I guess I use the term mothering to, and I, that's why I said like, not, I don't mean like mother your, I, I mean like when I think of mother energy, I think of like mother earth. I think of like, mm. like being, being held in a way that's safe. Like I'm in like my natural environment. Right. And I think that I, I actually disagreed with Connor on that comment because I think that he's applying that to men. And I think that like that has to do with all genders because I feel like a lot of times women will dump their emotional shit on the guy and then the sure. guy will try to like find a solution or fix it. And it's like, hey, well, you haven't processed your emotions yet. So like you need to do that shit first. Yes. And then we get together and we can we can like hold space for each other. I think women do that just as much as men do. And so when Connor said that, it wasn't so much with I had a problem of what he said, I had a problem that he genderized what he said to men. And I know he's man talks, but I think when we speak, especially as like counselors, therapists, coaches on the internet, we have to always put the caveat in, right? Mm -hmm. Because people read it and then they're like, okay. And then they just run with it. And so if you don't write like sort of the loopholes of how people could, you know, whenever I write posts, I'm really trying to think about what will someone interpret this is who is looking at it through their own subjective lens of trauma or experience because mm-hmm. I want to make sure I write for that person too because I don't want them just to mis- misconstrue what I'm saying and say that like they can just go to their partner and be like hey I read this on the internet and you need to stop emotionally dumping on me you know and then they do the same damn thing but because they're talking to their partner who's a man they feel like they can say that because you know someone said it on the internet that has a lot of followers you know and so yeah. I really I wanted to be careful <laughs> with sort of agreeing with Connor because like I think this is this is the boulder that all of us have to pick up, not just men, you know, like it, when I'm talking about emotionally, like, you know, looking for someone to mother me, looking for someone to caretake me, you know, because I know I've been on dates and I've been in relationships with women that do the same thing, you know? Totally. I mean, it's so hard because I mean, listen, if you feel like you do that on Instagram, like bravo, because I feel like the nuance is hard to capture. Super and I feel hard. like so often people will be like, well, this example. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to capture yeah. the nuance of humanity in however many characters we're writing about um, in these little squares. But also I agree with what you're saying a hundred percent. And here's the challenging thing for me. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. And a little bit, this is why I'm so fascinated by the dance of masculine and feminine energetics and that um, I, I love like studying it and attempting to figure it out. And 
I don't think that men and women are the same. I don't think that there are, you know, like I want to give an example. So like yesterday there was like a homeless person who was like, I I don't know what this man was trying to do, but something. And I felt afraid and I texted my kid's dad and he was here in like 10 minutes and like literally just like had the conversation with that guy and like, you know, like, but there was so much like exhale and safety and containment. And I was like, God, this is such an example of like the way that like male containment can feel just like really, really like beautiful and, and lovely. And we're not the same, you know, like I, I, I had a very different visceral response to the situation than he did. And I'm curious to hear, um, one, do you think that's just like socialization or do you think that's just like some of the innate differences in gender? And I think there are some ways that like, it's just become really politically incorrect to talk about some of the difference. Like there's something like 85% of women, their number one fantasy is to be ravaged by a man and taken against their will. I mean, but that is what like the studies say. And it's like, but we can't say that because do you know what I'm saying? Like there's some things about like what is masculine energy that is like really arousing to a woman that I feel like we've gotten away from like being allowed to talk about, but it's true. There there are no doubts. I don't care what social psychologist says this. There are no doubts that there are biological differences that influence our behaviors uh, as men and women. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, even when you look at like a base level of neurobiology, like someone like Andrew Huberman uh, talks about this a lot that like, you know, testosterone, estradiol, all these different hormones, they develop different in the womb, right? Mm-hmm. And so they influence us through birth. And that also influences who we are on a, on a, you know, on a molecular level. And also your brain and your thing is made of molecules, guys. So if those are different, there are differences, right? Mm-hmm. Hate to break it to everybody, but we, there are differences between men and women. Um, there's just no denying that. I think that the environment does influence that, right? It's mm-hmm. not everything, but it does influence that depending on how you're raised. Uh, I, I think that that's a totally normal response. I mean, even when we look at the like the history of society, is it a patriarchal response for like for a woman to feel unsafe and like immediately want to call a man? I don't think so. I think that's just like a biological thing, right? Mm. I think that as we look at, as we evolved over time, like men would go out and like, you know, kill things to bring back. Like they would go out and fight most wars. Like not to say there weren't female warriors, there were. But mm-hmm. when we just look at broad generalizations over the context of global history, that's kind of, those are the roles we've, we've been shepherded into, for instance, right? And that's why, you know, when you say that, I don't disagree with that. But then when we fall back on like, well, now as a woman, I I don't want to step in this, you know, mothering role to my partner because I feel like it's, you know, too masculine. I think that's where the gray, there's like a lot of gray area, right? Because I feel like it depends on how we define mothering in a specific context. Because if we're like, well, I'm trying to mother my uh, partner, that seems quite unhealthy to me, right? It seems like very, very unhealthy. But is it's like, well, I'm holding this mother energy because my partner is suffering right now. To me, like in my mind, that sounds just differently, right? Because like the, the quintessential mother energy to me is like beautiful. Just like the father energy is beautiful. You know, when I'm, I'm very uh, in alignment with the Navajo uh, culture and, you know, they believe like father sky, you know, mother earth, right? This, they, they separate these two deities basically on, on the, their creation story. And it's really this beautiful way of holding the masculine and the feminine and not genderizing it, even though they're talking about father and mother. It's really these two sort of just omnipresent beings inside of all of us, right? And I think that that's what I mean. It's like at some part in your relationship with your partner, you're probably going to have to be Father Sky, right? Encourage, like blossom, like like give energy, blow fire into someone's soul, 
or you're going to have to be mother earth, like be steadfast, hold safe space. Right. And those, those are not dependent on whether you're a man or a woman, you can hold both of those spaces, depending on the needs of yourself and the other and the relationship. You know, but I think in society, we tend to genderize those things about, like, okay, if you're a man, you must do this. If you're a woman, you must do this. And like, I don't know, I think you probably should do most of it when you can, you know, for yourself and for another person. And also part of the beautiful thing of a relationship is like, you know, there might be some times just like you, you called, you know, your ex partner to come over. If we look at it in a different perspective, like maybe, you know, uh, you know, a, a male partner lost his job, for instance, and he just wants some, he needs some space to be held. You know, in my mind, I feel like that's the same thing. It's just, a, it's just a different thing. It's like, I, I'm creating a sense of safety for my partner. It might not be physical safety, but it's emotional safety because that's what they need. You know, so I'm tapping into that energy of like being this like safe mothering space, right? Or this safe fathering space. We can use what I guess you can use whatever word you want for that. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, first of all, I just want to like pause and reflect on how beautiful what you just said was, because I just loved it so much. Um, and, you know, first of all, I think, what if we, I think because I have so much resistance to the parenting of each other, like on either yeah. side, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and this is what I think is so challenging. And I find especially, and I will genderize this when I work with couples, I do think that men want just like a linear, like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right. Like, just mm. like, and a lot of this is a dance and it isn't fixed. And sometimes we're going to need to play different roles than we need to play at other times. And we need to have that fluidity, like you're talking about and be able to be like water in our relationship. And what does the moment call for right now? Right. And I think society hasn't given men a lot of permission and that's really to be in touch with their own feminine and their own ability to dance with what is necessary in that space. Um, and I think there's something in what you're saying about, like, if a man has lost his job, that what I find often is what he is looking for is not to like, because I think there's something in mothering that can feel really emasculating to men a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And there's something in like, like, I trust you. I trust that you're, you're, this is not who you are. This is a season of what you're going through and that, um, that you're going to be okay. And that feels like I'm still seeing you. I'm not putting you in the space of like me caretaking you, but like I'm present with you. And, and I trust that this is a moment and I, I completely agree with you in the need yeah. for men to be held just as much as women. And I think that there are still differences in, um, what that might look like in one of those challenging moments. And again, none of this is fixed. None of this yeah. is like, this is the clear way you do it. But I do think where we get into trouble in our partnerships, like across the board, and this is the thing that I will like, the hill I'm willing to die on is that we just get in the space of parenting our partners way more than is good for us, you know? Yeah. And, and on the, on the inverse side where like a lot of people will, like a lot of women will, will sort of sit in this unhealthy mothering role of their male partner, a lot of men, will sit in this unhealthy fathering role of their female partner mm -hmm. where their partner who might have a lot of dad issues or mom issues is looking to sort of just be a child still, mm -hmm. right? And and I think that I see these dynamics on both sides and it, it can be flip-flopped, you know? It could be like the totally. the woman holding this this unhealthy father space, you know, it's, there's not, it's not like this linearity uh, at all, like, like you're alluding to, I, I agree with that. But I do think that there's, again, like there's just, there, there's like, 
I, I just view it as like the yin and yang in most things. I mean, I have this huge tattoo on my arm expressing sort of the, the balance of like in all things, there is something else. Right. And so like, mm. when we talk about like, yes, there, there is like, you had this vitriol response from me using that word mothering. And that's why I threw that caveat. Cause like, I don't mean like unhealthily mothering your partner. Right. Like that's not what I'm talking about. But I think this, there's a, I don't want to be scared. Just like I was so scared of using the word God for 12 years of departure from religion in my twenties. I don't want to be scared of using the word mother or mothering because I come from one. I wouldn't be here without one, mm. you know? And so it's a beautiful thing. There's unhealthy mothering and there's also healthy mothering, right? And, and that's open to interpretation in a lot of ways. And so I think using it as an adjective, I just, I want to be clear that like, I'm not saying you mother your partner, but you can hold, you know, once in a while, some deeply healthy mother energy and you can help deeply healthy father energy, right? And it is dependent on the needs of yourself and the relationship and your partner. The issue is when we get stuck in those roles, and then we cement ourselves in those roles, cement ourselves in those roles, it it becomes a problem, you know, because we're less fluid and all of a sudden, okay, well, they're just always going to be like this. So then I'm, I'm just going to always act like a baby, you know, Yeah. because they're just going to keep keep being there to take care of me, you know? And that, yeah, that's real. That's because not relating. <laughs> to the point of what you're saying, like someone could easily say, my kid's dad rushing over here to like help me like that could be father energy right like he came in to like handle the situation like a dad might and right that's true and i think you're absolutely right that the work for all of us is to be able to be in the dance of both our masculine feminine our yin and our yang like that's our work um to do that for myself and then also relationally how can i be present with what the moment calls for yeah that's right you're real that's real you're right is what i meant to say yeah. <laughs> You know, I think of it, it I, I don't know why this just came to mind, but I think of, I think of it this way, right? Like, and this is, again, my, my subjective um, needs in a relationship. But, you know, mm -hmm. if someone were to come into my house, and let's say I have kids and, and you know, they're trying to hurt my family, like, no doubt I'm going to fight back because I've been a warrior my whole life. But the woman that's sleeping next to me, she's, she's a warrior too. Like, that's mm -hmm. what I'm attracted to. And mm -hmm. we're both going to rip your head off. You know, it's not just going to be me. You know what I mean? And so, and I'm speaking about this energetically, like, like I want like someone who is able to meet that energy with me, you know, because like <laughs> if someone, if, if someone, if someone's showing up, like, it's not just like, oh, the man, man's got to take care of it. It's like, <laughs> no, like we both love the things in this house, you know, like these are our children, right? We're going yes. to protect them, right? It's, it is my duty, but it is also yours because if I'm not here, if I were to fall, you have to pick it up, you know? That's just, that's just how this works, right? It's how it worked, you know, in the, back in the day, right? And so I don't necessarily think that's, that's a patriarchal ideal. I think it's a partner ideal, you know, like. Well, I mean, I'm laughing because I was like, well, this partner would be hiding in the closet. But then, as you said, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, if something happens to me, like, but at the same time, like my mama bear energy, like if someone's messing with my kid, like that's I, that, I am a that's warrior. That's that mother right? energy. Like, like you, totally. th there's no more dangerous creature in the wild than a mother. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, dude, go mess with something that has yeah, a cub, true. you know, like yeah. you are not coming back. And I think that there, there's a, there's a real protective nature in that, you know? And uh, I think it's a, it's a beautiful part, you know, mm -hmm. and there, there's there's over mothering. Let's be honest. Helicopter parenting is a real freaking thing and it's causing a ton of problems. Mm -hmm. But I think that when we when we really are able to distinguish, again, healthy mothering from unhealthy mothering, we can sort of start to use that word like my relationship now with God. Right. It is is not like I don't use that word 
like it was used with me when I was young in, in grade school and Catholic school as an oppressive thought. It's this ever expansive thought that's interconnecting me and other and all this other life, right? And so like I was so scared of using that word, just like I was really, you know, I don't need to use mothering in that way. Mm. And I, I've I've just let's say re-upped my relationship with the with the words, you know. See, Nico, this is why I love talking to you because you're like really reframing some of my thoughts around my visceral response to parenting, you know, and I think yeah. that that is why we need to be open in conversations forever about like what else could be true and that we can just get really sort of fixated in this is the truth as I see it and I'm not budging. And I think there's like some beautiful truths to what you're saying and that anything in an ex its extreme version can sort of become a pathology, but there is, yeah. there is nuance and there is, is beauty in all aspects of our humanity. So I appreciate you so much. And um, Likewise. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with, with me and with single on purpose audience. Um, so I know you were talking about all the socials, but where can people find you if they're interested in working with you or learning more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Dee. Thank you for the, thank you for the plug here. Um, <laughs> so at that bras boy on Instagram, um, I did have a TikTok for like two months, but I had to delete it because I just, you're off the TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I want one social media thing, dude. I, I just, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a lot of your time. And so Instagram is the only place you're going to find me on social media. Um, you can go check out the podcast, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Danae's been a guest twice. They're incredible episodes. Please go listen to them. Um, and then if you want to, if you're interested in working with me or maybe taking one of the courses I hold, it's www.nicobarraza.com. Oh, I appreciate you, love. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Danae. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend hey before you go i want to invite you to the single on purpose private community online it's off of social media no ads no algorithms we got forums we got live groups we got webinars and we have social hangs we also have offline in-person hangs happening soon. So check us out. Go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. And I will see you inside.